What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to episode two. What are you laughing at? Because <laughs> uh, it, it was, I liked it. That's how we do it, it now, good. Jesse. We're, uh. What up, what up, what up? <laughs> we're, uh. Reminds me of Big Connect. <laughs> we're, uh, We're 90s R&B MCs. And that's what we do. What up, what up, what up? <laughs> Welcome to What the Header, episode two. We hope you enjoyed episode one. Uh, we hope that you further enjoyed this dive that we're going on, this deep dive. We're going down the Mariana Trench with this Bitcoin shit. You know what I mean, Jesse? Yep, 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 yep. So we learned some things. So we Corey talked to us, gave us a little bit of feedback about what we did before. And uh, gave us some advice on what we could uh, do moving forward. So what we're going to do is rather than read the white paper, is we're going to go even further back. We're going to take it back to the textbook on how everything works. Yeah. And so we're going to start what the header number two by going to learnmeabitcoin.com slash beginners. You guys can follow along with us. Yeah. I mean, learnmeabitcoin.com is is where i learned bitcoin initially the first time like i felt like i had a great comprehensive knowledge of bitcoin after i used this website it's interactive uh, we've interviewed the the gentleman that makes the website uh he's been on once or twice i believe on the bitcoin network and it's just really easy to grasp the concepts so uh that's what we're gonna do. He only has six hundred twelve subscribers. I just saw you go. Yeah, to his no, YouTube I saw page. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's blasphemy, man. It's it's crazy how sometimes like the greatest content just goes so far under the rug. But yeah. uh, but how you want to get started here, Jesse? How you want to do this? Do we just let's, start uh, at number one? Let's the- let's start with the first one. Yeah, so number one. Okay. So the what number one is the Bitcoin Network. I'm gonna click so on when it. he says number one, there's an outline here, uh, and we're assuming that these right. are steps, uh, steps to get to know Bitcoin. The first is the Bitcoin network with a subbullet of nodes. The second is mining blockchain blocks difficulty. The fourth, the third transactions outputs, and then there's another sub 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 bullet output locks. So you'll kind of that's what we're saying when we say number one. So. Yeah, number one is the Bitcoin network. Go, 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 go. All right, here we go. So what is the Bitcoin network? The Bitcoin network is made up of everyone running the Bitcoin software, better known as Bitcoin clients. Well, why is that in quotations? I mean, because, I mean, people want to know what is a Bitcoin client. Okay. Bitcoin client is Bitcoin software. So there's multiple software, it's multiple iterations, right? 
Okay, let's 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 be careful. But one yeah, step at yeah, a time. People one are step. running different versions. <laughs> I said, hold up now. One step at a time. Hold up now. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, yeah, people are running this thing called a Bitcoin client. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one step, one step at a time. All right, and then uh, so what? What does the network do? And it goes on to say, people, well, Bitcoin clients on the network talk to each other. There's a little picture of uh, Windows um, of people connecting to the Bitcoin big, clients and uh, it, saying, hi, hello. That's the Bitcoin QT. Yeah, the Bitcoin QT client. That's what yeah. those little pictures are. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. Okay. And then, uh, and by talk to each other, I mean pass on information about what's going on in other parts of the network. This is done by sending each other messages. For example, a message could be information about a new transaction. This sharing of information, for example, the transactions, is what allows uh, the everyone on the network to keep up to date, which is pretty important if you want to run a digital currency on the internet. So, so the Bitcoin network some... is described as a quote-unquote peer-to-peer network because... Everyone is connected to each other, so it's a network, and to everyone on the network is equal, so we are peers. Yeah, so are you gonna the pictures, me? the pictures have these little sub, uh, little captions, right? And there's a net of um, these little windows of, of Bitcoin clients, and one client says, "Hey, you know, I'm sending a message. It's a new transaction," and that gets propagated out throughout the network, and eventually everyone knows about the new transaction so that's what the pictures kind of say and that's how the network kind of works and just like these bullet points here everyone's connected everyone is equal oh here remember when we talked about what is peer-to-peer on the last episode yeah man we got into that all right so let's look at what they say here in peer-to-peer so wikipedia link (laughs) we're about to go deep down the rabbit hole oh god so oh, this a peer-to-peer is... network is mm-hmm. uh, is a network in which interconnected nodes or quote-unquote peers share resources amongst each other without the use of a centralized administrative system. Okay. So that's what a peer-to-peer network is. Bro, there's at least 10 or 15 links in there. Let's let's go. Yeah, let's I know. Go deep. I mean... No, no, because then Corey's going to get mad at us. <laughs> he can't go mad if we're reading shit from Wikipedia. He's got to get mad at uh-huh. Wikipedia. He can't get mad at us. <laughs> All right, what do you want to read? <laughs> I, I think we should start at the top, like every good Wikipedia article. You start at the top, and then, <laughs> okay, okay, and then you're seven clicks away from Jesus. It always works that way. Do you remember that episode of Just the Headers? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I I did that in middle school. Like we used to like play a game, like just random old Wikipedia article, and then see if you can get to Jesus in like seven clicks or less. Yeah, you could always do it. It's pretty mind-numbing. Um, but awesome. uh, so, what's it say here about P2P computing? A P2P computing or networking is a distributed application architecture that partitions tasks or workloads between peers. Peers are equally privileged, uh, equal potent participants. Thank you for zooming in. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Sorry, just making it bigger for you. Equipotent participants in the application, and they're said to form a peer-to-peer network of nodes. Um, so that's like the very first statement about peer-to-peer. I like the part that it's like equipotent. 
I haven't heard that word, but I like it. What does equipotent mean? I'm pretty sure it means same potency. Equally powerful participants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so do you think we really need to go down into this? Do we? I mean, we flirted with it on the last episode, but I feel like everybody kind of gets the point. Okay. So you want to go back to Learn Me a Bitcoin? Yeah. If they don't get the point, they'll let us know. We're going back to Learn Me a Bitcoin, okay. everyone. Peer-to-peer okay. networks. You get it. All right. I'll let you read this next section. So who makes up the network? That's a question that it's asking here on the website. Who makes up the network? So as mentioned, anyone with an active internet connection and a running Bitcoin client. Seriously. Anyone can join the Bitcoin network. All you need is an internet connection and a Bitcoin client. And there's a link to take you to download the Bitcoin client, which is a piece of software like any other. And once you're up and running, you'll be referred to as a node on the Bitcoin network. So it's really that easy. Um, when I first started mining, we mined Litecoin and I couldn't believe how easy it is. That's kind of the crazy thing is that everything is so obfuscated that the public only sees this very complex thing. But I ran the Light Lightning Net- Litecoin network and it was as easy as downloading any software that I'd ever download from the Internet. And I clicked open and it just went. It synced the network and boom, I was on it. I was mining Litecoin. Dope, ship dope, Jesse. But go on. So, how can I join the network? Uh, all you need to do is download and run a Bitcoin client. So it's showing a link here to Bitcoin.org/slash/english/slash/download, um, and then it goes on to say, when you run the client, it will connect to other nodes and start downloading a full copy of the blockchain. The file that contains all the verified transactions. After that, your client will start receiving transactions from other nodes and relaying them around the network. Congratulations, you are now a node on the Bitcoin network. Mm. Hmm. So, so I saw something interesting on Twitter today. And by the way, Learn Me uh-huh. a Bitcoin is been built by Greg Walker. But the interesting thing that I saw on Twitter was that the latest Bitcoin client, the latest version, takes was it three days and three hours to download? I mean, it depends on your internet speed, right? Like, because like I mm-hmm. can download it right now. Watch this. I'll download Bitcoin while we're doing this podcast. Yeah, but you're not going to download, download the whole blockchain. That's what I'm talking about. You want to bet? Yeah, I do actually. Watch, watch me with my one gigabit internet connection. Even with your one gigabit internet connection, it's going to take you like. It's not gonna, you're not gonna, it's gonna take a long ass time to download the whole blockchain. But go ahead, be my no, wait, guess. Wait, how many, how many, how many gigabytes is it? Is it like 500 now? I don't know. Wait, let me double check. I, I have enough space for it, actually. Because maybe I don't. Uh, you know what? Guess who has the Bitcoin client already? With a pretty sizable amount of the blockchain. This guy. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna download the client just for. It's 149 you know, gigs. Huh? It's 149 gigs. Not true. The one I currently have, which at is the end of 2017. Sorry, I didn't finish. Oh, okay, okay. I was about to say my current one. It's old and it's 224. We'll see if I can't finish it by the time we finish this episode. 
just for fun. All right, let's do it. So let's go back here, and we'll go to nodes. So nodes <laughs> is going to be the next thing. Okay, my bad. <laughs> it's, yeah, you're right. It's approaching 250 gigs. It's actually, yeah. as of today, 247.929 gigs. So it's pretty large. <laughs> how many movies Let's is see that? how fast I uh, I guess it depends movie, on well, the movie. Depends what quality, what quality size of movie. Are we talking about like DVD? Because DVD is four point, I think four point eight, four point nine gigs. Mm. I'm talking and about if you're trying to have, Blu-ray. if you're trying to have your most premium Netflix and chill situation, right? Four, oh. all the K's, four K's. You know, good sound. Oh, I don't know four K actually. That's okay. I don't know anything about. I only know 720p and 1080. I didn't mean to throw 720p out the advanced like, stuff on you. Huh? <laughs> I didn't mean to throw out the advanced format on you, my bad. Bro, I'm poor. I don't have a 4K TV. Who has a 4K monitor? Everybody oh, wait, has no, a, 4K I have a 4K TV, TV. dude. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. Okay, I don't have a 4K computer monitor, right? Because that would drain my GPU if I play video games on that. Oh, see, I don't have a 4K monitor either. I'm jealous. Yeah. Jealous. See, the point of playing video games is to play with high frame rates, and 4K doesn't get high frame rates. It doesn't? Yet. Yet. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Oh, damn. The more you know? Yeah. You have to play on, like, 1080p so you can get, you know, way more frames. I did see an 8K the other day. That's. It rocked my world, bro. I fell in love with it. Like it was love at first sight. They don't even record in that. <laughs> they would have to like what is it upscale it? Well, 4K? they'd have to record with two 4K cameras, right? Mm-hmm. Or you could take 4K and s- extrapolate like the extra pixels. Have extra you ever seen a double barrel? Frame. You ever seen a double barrel shotgun? I have. Well, that's what you do. You take two 4K cameras and you smush them together. Tape them up with the yeah. tape, and you got eight cases. <laughs> Sorry, let's go on. What is a node? Okay, so yeah, what does a node go? A node. <laughs> on the this Bitcoin... is not actually a technical description. Why? What is this website, dude? Do I look like some sort of I mean, scientist to you? <laughs> That's not how I get down, Jesse. I was, I was hoping it would be. I was hoping it'd be like more, you know. In depth, but this is kind of like. Just well, we need to read the white paper if we want in depth. We left in depth. No, 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 no. I wanna, I want like, I wanna. No, there's, there's got to be some happy medium. We'll finish this for episode two, and then for okay. episode three, I'll find something that's a little All bit right. more. Um, I can dig it. Extensive. I, I understand you don't like my Dr. Seuss level Bitcoin learning, but <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Seuss level. A node is just a computer that is running the Bitcoin program. More importantly, it is connected to other computers running the same program. And it creates a network. There's multiple nodes. So what does a node do? It has three jobs. Trace trabajos. Follow the rules. Share information. And keep a copy of confirmed transactions. I'll say that one more time for the people in the back or the people that are high. It follows the rules, 
That's, th that's number one. Three jobs. Follow the rules, share information, and keep a copy. Keep a copy of confirmed transactions. I'm going to dish the rock to you, Jesse. Okay. All right. So... One, follow rules. Each node Bitcoin client has been programmed to follow a set of rules. By following these rules, a node is able to check on the transactions it receives and only relay them if everything is cool. If there are any problems, the transaction isn't passed on. One thing that you mentioned, Dee, is you mentioned that it was easy to mine, but running a Bitcoin node is not the same thing as mining. And that's something that... Yeah, that was a miss... You should probably I miss, I miss, uh, spoke there. It was easy to run a node. Uh, mining was an endeavor. Sorry. Yeah, mining mining is a separate a separate piece of software that you'll have to run. Running it running a node just you 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 verify transactions and you just pass them on. You just you're mm -hmm. just checking. Alright, so for the for example, one rule is that a person must own an equal or greater amount of bitcoins that they are trying to send. So if your node receives a transaction where someone has tried to send more bitcoins than they own, the transaction won't be passed on to the other nodes. Number two of what D said, share information. A node's main job is to share information with other nodes, and the quintessential information a node shares is transactions. Now, there are two types of transactions that nodes share. Fresh transactions and confirmed transactions. Fresh transactions are transactions that have recently entered the network, and confirmed transactions are transactions that have been quote-unquote confirmed and written to a file. These are shared in blocks of transactions and not individually. Wait, say that there's one more a diagram. time. Bring it, bring it, bring it back, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it back. So there's two types of transactions that nodes share: fresh transactions and confirmed transactions. So fresh transactions are transactions that have recently entered the network. They go into the mempool. They they're just sharing. They're just sharing them. Actually, they're not mm -hmm. verifying them. Uh, and then they're sharing confirmed transactions, which are transactions that have been quote unquote confirmed and written to a file. These are shared in blocks of transactions and not individually. So I, I misspoke when I said that nodes verify transactions. They don't, right? Only miners verify transactions. Okay. Right? Is that right? I don't really? feel like that's right, bro. I feel like nodes okay. verify transactions. It just said it right here. How they do, verify how do confirmed verify transactions. transactions? Huh? How do what's the difference between a miner verifying a transaction and a node verifying a transaction? Like miners verify it by calculating the new nonce. Is that what how it works? I don't know. That's a good question, but we're gonna get into mining here in a little bit. The difference between a node okay. and a miner. There's gotta be something okay. like more calculation or some shit. Oh, it says here, don't worry about the difference between these two right now. It will all become clear in mining and blocks. Okay, so so we'll pocket that that question that we have. Huh. Uh, what the difference is between nodes and, and mining as far as verification of transactions. I think you're so right. So the third like, rule. Hold on. Before we get there, I think you are right. Miners verify it. Nodes just propagate. I think. I don't know. I'm not going to. I'm not going to like say that. I All know right. anything. I'm so. going to. I'm going to roll the okay. dice and say you were right. You're going to bet. I'm betting on okay. you, bro. I'm betting on you. Okay. Uh, the third and last one <laughs> is they have to keep a copy of confirmed transactions. So as mentioned, each node also keeps blocks of confirmed transactions. 
These are held together in a file called the blockchain. What? Okay, and then fresh Blah. transactions are bounced around the network <laughs> until they are etched into the blockchain. Let me read that again. Fresh transactions are bounced around the network until they are etched into the blockchain, which is a ledger of confirmed transactions. Huh. So how did... Okay, all right. It's probably based by... All right, I'm speculating. And I shouldn't do that. All right, so each node has a copy of the blockchain for safekeeping and shares it with the other nodes if their copy isn't up to date. The process of adding fresh transactions to the blockchain is called mining. Um, and then in a shaded yellow kind of like some side notes to that section is, I want to mention that each node is autonomous. By that, I mean that when you run a Bitcoin client, so that's, this is, it's autonomous. Network, it's autonomous. The network doesn't quote unquote tell you what to do. So that's what it means. So by meaning by autonomous, um, it means that when you run a Bitcoin client, the network doesn't tell you what to do. Instead, your Bitcoin client already knows what to do, and it makes its own decisions. I'm, I'm curious what what it, what that entails as far as the propagation of fresh transactions. All right. So the next paragraph. So the entire Bitcoin network is made up of nodes making their own decisions, but they each make the same decisions as one another, which makes it a completely decentralized yet powerful network. If every other node went offline, your node would be upholding the entire Bitcoin network. All right. Mm. So I'll, I'll let you read the next chunk. Okay. Here. Do I have to be a node to use Bitcoin? No. You can send and receive Bitcoins without having to be a node. You just need to get the transaction into the Bitcoin network and you're good to go. So if you send a message to one node about a transaction, it will eventually propagate to the entire network. Uh, if you're using a web wallet, for example, they will feed the transactions you make into the network for you. Mm. Very interesting. So you don't even have to be a node. So all these wallets that we use, they're not... They're they're not nodes. They're just transmitting the transaction to a node. Interesting. Or a web wallet. So you don't even have to. Well, it depends. I guess it would depend. It would depend. D. Let's not blanket statement all wallets because all wallets are not created equal. Some wallets are like clients. I understand that, but. Right. 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 Interesting. So you don't even need an internet connection, do you? You just, you just need something. No. no, you do. Well, yes and no. You don't. You 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 don't though. To to get a transaction onto the Bitcoin network, you'd have to eventually connect to. Oh, network. I thought you were talking about making transactions because you can make transactions offline. Yeah, you can. That's what cold wallets are all about. Interesting. All right, this is getting good. I like this. So we got a network, nodes, nodes have to follow the rules, keep a list of all confirmed transactions, and propagate when transactions come in. Yep, propagate fresh transactions as well as confirmed transactions. And keep a record of confirmed transactions. Okay. And keep the blockchain record. Okay, yep. got it. All right. So mining is the next topic. That's good. That naturally went to mining. So what is mining? Mining is the process of adding transactions to the blockchain. Oh, shit. Do we click on blockchain or no? Okay, yeah, let's click it. Oh, no shit. The rabbit hole. 
Oh, shit. We opened a whole new window. The blockchain. A shared file of Bitcoin transactions. What's the blockchain? The blockchain is a file that contains a list of every Bitcoin transaction ever made. That's it. Do we need to go further? I guess we do. Everyone on the Bitcoin network shares a copy of this file and it updates regularly with the latest transactions. Why is the blockchain important? Why is the blockchain important? Well, Jesse, I'm going to fucking tell you. The blockchain tells you how many Bitcoins each person owns. That's real important, bro. This is because having a complete list of transactions allows you to work out how many Bitcoins are located at each address, right? It's basically the ledger. Therefore, you can figure out how many Bitcoins each person has. The blockchain is like a logbook or a ledger. I mean, I just said that. It's a ledger. But the cool thing that we've learned over the years, Jesse, and we're probably getting way too ahead of ourselves, is that ledgers don't just have to contain financial transactions. And I think that's where things get really Oh, you're getting cool. way too ahead. Okay. I bounced way too too many years ahead. <laughs> okay. I'm, bring, I'm bringing it back. I'm bringing Sorry. I got, I got excited. I got excited. That's for like what the header is 50 something. Yeah. <laughs> That's, we're ways out from that. Okay. So why is it called the blockchain? Because transactions aren't added to the file individually. Instead, they are bunched together and added in blocks. Hence, blockchain. Also, these blocks are linked together. So any changes made to a block lower down the chain will change the blocks above it. So linked blocks or blockchain. And there you go. So if you're a programmer, I guess the way to think about this is a linked list. Why? I'm right. not a programmer. So let's look up what a what is a linked list. A linked list is a linear data structure where each element is a separate object. Each element, we will call it a node, of a list is comprising of two items, the data and a reference to the next node. The last node has a reference to null. The entry point to a linked list is called the head of the list. Mm. So it's basically like a a uh, cryptographically secure linked list mm -hmm. maybe is is like a is like a another way to think about what a blockchain is mm, i don't think what you just said is something that old dr petty would like i feel like he wouldn't like that so let me just like let me just retract shit. that he would just shit wind that shit that up like statement. a yo-yo yeah <laughs> 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 i really want to know if he agrees with that but i'll be like we'll oh that's out. it that's that's a simplification. A gross simplification, maybe. A gross one. Alright. So, do we need to read more of this? I don't think so. Okay, so let's go back. Let's get back to mining. So, so mining was the process of adding transactions to the blockchain. So, how does it work, D? Uh, every node on the Bitcoin network shares information about new transactions... They store the transactions in their memory pool, right? So new transactions get stored in the mem pool, the memory pool. Uh, it's a temporary storage area for transaction data. And each node has the option to try and mine the transactions in their memory pool into a file. This file is a ledger of every transaction. It's called the blockchain. We get that, right? So you can think of the memory pool as a floating pool of transactions. And the blockchain is actually when those... They get taken out of the pool and organized into a block. Okay. To add transactions from the memory pool to the blockchain, a node has to use a lot of computer processing power. 
and this processing power is forced through the existence of a challenge in the memory pool. Ooh, Jesse. Ooh. So you've got to use... That's kind of the thing, is that when people say Bitcoin has no value, they're full of shit. It has a lot of value. It's actually using processing power. Um, well, it's using ASICs now, but it's using processing power uh, to bring these Bitcoins into existence. So what's the challenge that's going on in the memory pool? Uh, well, imagine you're a node, and at any point in time you can condense the transactions in your memory pool into a single string of numbers and letters and for those of you that aren't programmers a string is numbers and letters and symbols right a string has a certain data type limitations like what is a string in c++ right because it's written in c++ uh i think so Okay, so a string, a this string. Well, so is it is it is it in C plus plus? Is the string defined in C plus uh, plus? Don't know. Okay. All right, I don't know either. Let's let's just let's just pocket that again. <laughs> let's let's, uh, let's back away slowly. Let's back away. Why are we going down the rabbit hole of string, but we're not going to go down the rabbit hole peer to peer? We don't need to do this, man. A string is just letters and numbers. A string? Well, it depends. It has a certain size limitation, that's correct, but it's just letters and numbers, man. Depends on your machine. This is important. Do you know what the difference is between 32 bit? And 64 bit? Yeah, one was PlayStation and one was in 64. <laughs> Alright, we're gonna we're gonna skip that then. We're gonna we're just gonna keep going. <laughs> That's literally how I define it. I'm sorry. I know that probably pissed you off, but uh, No, no, it's 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 What's the difference really between thirty two bit and sixty four bit, Jesse? It's the address size that you're able to. It's the the amount of memory you're able to. Uh, you're able to address. So, so like, the length of the string. Uh, no, memory addressing, like, you know, when you load a program, mm-hmm. it goes into it goes into uh, your RAM memory on your computer, right? Mm-hmm. So, memory addressing on RAM 32-bit machine here. Yeah, and, like, the addressing tells it, like, which slots to put it in, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that one, so 32 bits is based on an address that is 2 to the 32. And 64-bit is, you know, 2 to the 64. Okay. So that's a shit ton of uh, space to it's assess things. Register size, sizes, yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, all right, we can go back. That's why you know on a thirty-two bit machine you're limited to like uh, how many gigs of RAM? Is it sixteen? Uh, I thought it was eight. How many 
Dave, uh, Ram, are you limited to 130 people? We're just a random ass Googling here. Ah, four. Four. It was four? Four. Okay. And then 64 bit machine. Wait, hold on. What the hell? Hold on. Hold on. Dude, this is so, like, old. Right now, I'm sorry, audience. We're looking up the capacity of a 32-bit machine. <laughs> yeah, so 32-bit uh, does 2 to 32, which is four point, roughly 4.3 billion values. So that's 4 gigs, mm-hmm. roughly, of RAM. So 32 bits can address maximum 4 gigs of RAM. 64-bit uh, register can uh, reference... A lot more RAM. Way more. Way, way more. Way more. Way more. Yeah, way more. All right. So there's a difference. <laughs> there are several like, you know, decimal places there. Lots. Yeah, lots of trip decimals. Lots more. Um... Lots of commas, as the rappers would say. So what's the challenge? Okay. We we kind of got through this, but we didn't. Right? So your objective is to hash the string with another number to try and get a new string that begins with a certain number of zeros. And that's it. Right? So you take a bunch of transactions, and you're going to get this, this, this hash. Right? You're going to get this hash... That's a string of characters. And then your job is to try and introduce numbers that when you hash that string that comes from the transactions and this number that you're guessing, it's going to produce a hash with enough leading zeros that then takes those transactions that you gathered up and puts them into a block. And what we mean by leading zeros are zeros that are on the front of a string. Right, so if you had zero zero three A B C D F G five nine, that would be three leading zeros. I kind, I think you kind of get the point, and that's the only challenge. Why? Because it's very hard. It comes down to the cryptography actually to get leading zeros in a string. The more leading zeros you have, the more processing power you had to use. But that's another story for another time. So, oh, I didn't know that. The more zeros you have, the the yeah, that's that increased the, difficulty. Is that how yeah, that the difficulty, difficulty level is adding leading zeros. I mean, it's a little oh, more okay. than that, but essentially, it's oh, kind of that. Is right. that right? Would Corey approve of that definition? Uh, he'd probably make a noise. He go, <laughs> or yeah, <laughs> I don't know, and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but oh, look funny. at what you're doing when you're adding Lee zeros. You're adding like, um, you know, what if I those are shot? those are magnitudes of ten, right? Yeah. So like one over one, one over ten, one over one hundred, one over a thousand. Oh shit! You just hashed G is a boss. Yeah. Dope. See. So that's the hash. Okay. D is a boss. Got it. So now add numbers uh, to that hash. Put that hash in there. Zeros. Whoa! Look at how the hash is changing. Yeah. So supposedly this is more complicated to generate. The more zeros I add. The more zeros you add, yes. 
No, no, no. Sorry, I take that. I took that. Take that back. It's gen to generate something with leading zeros is tough, and I don't think you're gonna get anything with leading zeros in the SHA-256 hash. Oh, in the SHA. Okay, so we gotta generate zeros in the hash. Yeah. Oh, look, I got two zeros. You got a zero and a oh. Get three zero. No, that's two zeros. It looks like a zero. Zero zero oh. F one. Listen, watch this. I'm gonna get three. Brute forcing, bro. I'm brute forcing. I'm like a computer. You're ridiculous right now. <laughs> the audience, you, you're bro, listening to Jesse brute force leading zeros. I can't do it. What if I use characters? That's that's just not working. All right, I can't do it. I give up. Bitcoin's so, better than me. You see how frustrating that was for Jesse? Imagine your little shitty computer trying to do, <laughs> trying to do <laughs> trillions upon trillions of times per second. Okay, all right, all right, audience. Now let's uh, get into it. Now let's so let's go back to the thing leading zeros, right? You get leading zeros, you get new Bitcoin. Now this sounds easy enough, but it's actually difficult. It's utterly random, and you can only hope to find a winning result through trial and error. And that's what mining is. It's lots of hashing using lots of your computer's processing power and hoping to just get lucky. But if you are lucky enough like to me. find, yeah, to find a successful hash result, the transactions in your memory pool get added to the blockchain and every other node on the network adds your block of transactions to their blockchain. And you also receive, this was written back a long time ago, 25 Bitcoin reward for your effort as well as picking up any fees that were tacked onto the transactions that you just added to the blockchain, right? So when you successfully complete this challenge of creating a hash with enough leading zeros and you get transactions out of this cloud of fresh transactions and you put them into confirmed transactions, you're rewarded with new Bitcoin. Oh yeah, Wait, I'll, say that. I'll say that one more Certain time. Number. You're rewarded with new Bitcoin. All right. Now you go. So the note actually uh, it confirms what you said. So the quote certain number of zeros comes from the difficulty. This is set by the network and changes based on the volume of miners. The more people mining, the greater the difficulty and the more zeros are needed at the start, which makes it harder to find a winning result. Ha, this Corey. is a slightly simplified version of how blocks are added to the blockchain. For a bit more detail, check out blocks. Okay, yeah. wait, hold on. We have so, to look at blocks. So Corey could make all the fucking noises he wants. I would be right. Like, eh. All right. Go ahead. So what's a block? A block is a bunch of transactions. And now, I hate to fast forward the clock, 10 years, but transactions can be batched into a hash that's then batched into a transaction. We're on next level shit now, Jesse. We got batched transactions now. Oh, Anyways, my God. Yeah. Crazy shit. So now... So just think about this. A transaction in that cloud can actually be composed of a ton of transactions. Bananas and pajamas. All right. A block is a bunch of transactions that have been added to the blockchain. How are blocks formed? Blocks are formed by miners. Go on. <laughs> when you make a Bitcoin transaction, it isn't added to the blockchain straight away. Instead, it is held in a transaction pool or a memory pool. Okay. If you're a miner, your job is to gather transactions from that pool into a candidate block and try to add this candidate block to the blockchain. Okay. A block header. You also can give each candidate block a block header, 
which is basically a bunch of metadata about the block. Version, last block, transactions, time, target, a block header. Miners use this metadata when trying to add a block to the blockchain. Metadata is a noun, data that describes other data, serving as an informative label. I hate how people say metadata. Like, why not say titles or, or like, headers or, like, there's so many things you could call people's found they try to so that's what that's what file information has always been called it's always been called metadata i know it just sounds so overly fancy and it doesn't have to no it's not my metadata it's like oh okay your fucking headers on a list date name time like that's metadata i guess so fancy asshole Anyways, I'm just I'm just I'm just ranting at this. Why don't we point. look up the the origin of the word metadata? <laughs> oh, that's the that's the rabbit hole we go from? down. Okay, let's do it. That, this is this is the one I'm choosing it. <laughs> Where did it come? Why from? Why is this here? Wikipedia page so damn long? Uh, you read this. I'm not going into this. I'm angry at the word. You're making Cory noses. I read it. Metadata. No, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm trying to like. The word origin because this would be deathly boring to God. Listeners. That's a lot, dude. That's a lot of boredom. This is so boring. And just give me the date. Can I just Google this? When what are you trying to do? Was the phrase metadata created? Ah, 1968. The term metadata was coined in 1968 by Philip Bagley in his book Extension of Programming Language Concepts, where it is clear that he uses the term in the ISO. 11.179, traditional sense, which is structural metadata. Uh, for example, data about the containers of data, rather than the alternative sense, content about. Oh, you yeah, just had to click it. Content about individual instances of data content or meta content. The type of data usually found in library catalogs. Since then, the fields of information management, information science, information technology, librarianship, and GIS, I don't know what that is, oh, geographic. geographic information, have widely adopted the term. In these fields, the word metadata is defined as data about data. While this is the generally accepted definition, various disciplines have adopted their own more specific explanation and uses of the term. So 1968. Data about Think data. There you go. That's why it's metadata. Whatever. Block header fields. The details of these fields, these metadata, isn't important right now, but here's a quick run through anyway. Version describes the structure of the data inside the block. This is used so that the computers can read the contents of each block correctly. The last block, an ID for the previous block. We're trying to get one of these for the current candidate block, Merkle root. All of the transactions inside the block hash together to form a single line of text. All of the fields are unique, but it would be fair to think of this as the most significant part of the block header. The time, the current time is always handy, and target, a value that miners work with to try and add candidate blocks to the blockchain. It is set by the Bitcoin network and will make more sense in a moment. Also the difficulty. Um, the Merkle root, that's a biggie. Merkle root. Do you want to do you want to look at the Merkle root? Mm, yeah, it's a very important piece of the block header, and people should know what it means. But All right. I mean, this definition is beautiful. This is why I love 
this guy, by the way. This definition is amazing. The Merkle root is the fingerprint for all the transactions in a block. So if you take all the transactions that happened in a block, which is, damn, I forget how many transactions we do a block now. Ugh, oh, this stuff. Just this. Yeah, block. I don't know anymore either. But, anyways, yeah, Here, all those transactions. How many transactions can you have in a Bitcoin block? The answer is going to be different now. There's batch transactions and all kinds of stuff. Okay, well, fine. Then, well, this is 2019. Okay, three thousand five hundred transactions. That's that's what we're going with. Let's just go with that. All right, sounds good. So three thousand five hundred transactions get hashed together. Um, so let's first go. A Merkle root is created by hashing together pairs of transaction IDs, which gives you a short yet unique fingerprint for all the transactions in a block. This Merkle root is then used as the field in the block header which means that every block header will have a short representation of every transaction inside the block. And that's it. Why do we use Merkle root? If we want to create a unique fingerprint for all the transactions in a block, we could just hash all the transaction IDs together in one go. However, if we later wanted to check that a transaction ID is a part of the hash, we would need to know all the other transactions too. Can you go from the, uh, the hash back to the... Ma. You're live on a podcast right now. I gotta call you back. Cause I'm, cause I'm recording the podcast right now, and you called me in the middle of it. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Say hello to everybody. Hi, everybody. All right, mom. I love you. I gotta let you go. I'll call you back. Baba, <laughs> and that was a wholesome moment brought to you by the Bitcoin Podcast Network. <laughs> Moss calling me out of the blue. On the okay, That's call fun. your mothers, everyone. They miss you. All right. Can you? Is there a way, like so in um in one of the computer um organization courses that he took? We use like. Encoders and decoders, right? So Merkle root seems like it's some way of encoding all of the transaction IDs into a hash, right? That's what it sounds like, yes. Can you decode that hash back into the transaction ID information associated with all the transactions? That's a good question. That's a little far above my pay grade, my friend. Okay. All right. But I do know that your transaction ID takes you exactly to where your transaction is, like in what block. Oh, okay. So maybe yes. It takes you to the location, but not necessarily can tell you the ID. It, but it tells you the location, which is good enough, right? Yeah, it tells you what block the transaction's in. Doesn't it also tell you, like the, the hash of the Merkle root, doesn't it also tell you the location within that block? Uh, maybe, well, but we'll is that relevant? Corey. We'll ask Corey. Uh, it's interesting. It, it doesn't matter. Do reverse engine. It has to do with being able to figure out where transactions came from right for all the software that people are using to um reverse engineer uh figure out where transactions are coming from originally figuring oh, out where they originate yeah. all that software is based on probably reversing merkle root hashing how are people figuring anyway, out it's just a question where people are how are people figuring out what i'll try to figure out like how because you know there's several cases of like them tracking down some criminals doing th bad things for bitcoin 
And it's like, how do they know yeah. where they're spending the Bitcoin or moving it to? It has to be an IP address related thing. Like that's probably like nothing to do with the Bitcoin know. network, but where they're propagating, like where their nodes are hooked up at. You should ask Corey. Yeah. Colin. Maybe they yeah. would know. I feel like the show that Corey wants to do should just be us in the office hours. Like he wants to have office hours with Dr. Petty. And he wants to answer questions uh-huh. from everyone, but I feel like it should just be us, uh-huh. and we should represent everyone. Well, but we're like learning, right? So, like, office hours is, like, an additional... It's like, you only have office hours for an hour, but then you actually true. go to a lecture where you're learning for, like, way more time than just the that's, office hours. That's also true. Right. Because the effective use of an hour of office hours is you coming there with questions that are formed. That's also and you can only form true. those questions by going through the content. That's true. We should not talk about format of future shows on a current show, though. We should, <laughs> or maybe we should. It's like good marketing. Like, yeah. yeah. Bring your questions to Doctor Petty in his office hours. Doom 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 doom. All right, moving on. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Merkle roots belong to a Merkle tree. With a Merkle tree, if we want to check that a transaction is part of the Merkle root. We would only need to know some of the hashes along the path of the tree. So there you go, Jesse. There you go. As a result, by using a Merkle root as our fingerprint for the block header, we can later find out if a transaction exists in a block without having to know every other transaction ID in the block. A Merkle tree is just an efficient way to prove that something is in a set without having to know the full set. Beautiful stuff. Gotcha. It's the DNA of a block. Ooh, that's stupid. Uh, that's probably so. not, but it so, kind of does. When are Merkle trees useful in Bitcoin? Thanks to Merkle trees, you can create thin nodes or light wa- uh, lightweight wallets that can verify when a transaction has made it into a block without the overhead of having to download and store the entire blockchain. These wallets just download and store block headers and use the Merkle roots inside them, along with Merkle proofs they receive from full nodes to verify that a transaction has made it into a block. There you go. And so if you were curious to know why we were saying light client and what a light client is, we just found out. Ooh, it's, ooh, look at this. How do you create a Merkle root? Here's a technical diagram that explains how Merkle roots are created in Bitcoin. This is what I like. Okay. This is So make sure transaction IDs are in binary and little Indian before creating the Merkle root. And then they're concatenated. I'm not sure what the concatenated looks like. And then concatenated uh, is just add, adding together. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Which one goes first? Does E go before F? Mm, that's a good question because it's not bijective. It's probably surjective. Which means... That's a good question. And then uh, it, it goes to the SHA-256 hash twice. The hash-256 twice. And then uh, you get EF. So if EF goes, EF gets concatenated, goes through SHA-256 twice, mm-hmm. spits out the hash associated with the concatenated EF. Um, it says has no pair, so concatenate it with itself. What does this mean right here? Um, it's saying that like usually, so you can look, check it out. You start with six, you concatenate a B, you get a B, 
concatenate CD, you get CD. Concatenate EF, you get EF. Then you concatenate AB with CD to get ABCD. But there is no uh, EFGH. Because oh, if there was I a GH, it would be FGH. I got you. Okay. Yeah. Fine. And then, uh, so, so, all, oh, so it's transactions A through F. And then the output after multiple hash 256 occurs, you mm-hmm. get the output A, B, C, D, E, F, E, F. And it converts back to hexadecimal with big Indian. Yeah. And so to, uh, for it to look for the same, to, for it to look the same as on blockchain explorers. Mm. So I'd saying? imagine it's irrelevant the order of these things. You just want to know if it's in the tree. That's all. Orders orders irrelevant. It could be it could, that A B C D E F could be jumbled up. Right. Doesn't matter. We still just want to check if it's in this tree. Yeah, yeah. The order doesn't... You wouldn't know where it was. It doesn't appear you would know where it yeah. was. You're not trying to know where it is in there. You're just trying to know if it's in there or not. Right. Okay, got it. So here's... And then and they gave you a Ruby snippet code for creating a Merkle root from an array of transaction IDs. It's worth a read, even if you're not a programmer at the moment. So this would be mm-hmm. fun to do. We should uh, we should do this. Just create our own Merkle trees. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's uh, for, let's create our own Merkle root from Can, an array of transaction IDs. Dude, is humanity one giant Merkle tree? <gasps> no. no. Oh. Okay. Is, are you sure? Why, do, why would humanity be a Merkle? I mean, like. Wait, wait. Merkle tree. Wait, let me. Merkle root. No, the root tells you what's going on in the tree. But, like, the root would be your matriarch and patriarch, bro. Boom. You got a family tree. Can't be blown because I still don't understand the concept of this yet. (laughs) (laughs) I need visual Uh, images. I'm glad I don't smoke a lot. Because I think my mind would wander too far away from, <laughs> from things if I did. <laughs> Maybe you'd be like Snoop. You'd oh, he got lucky. Creatively inspired. Uh, didn't get lucky. He's talented. I don't even know what this means. I need to watch a YouTube video on Merkle Tree's... Hold up. This isn't entertaining for listeners. This is only entertaining for viewers. Sorry, listeners. Okay. But Jesse's Googling Merkle trees. But let's get back to the let's get back to the show. Okay, let's All get right. back to it. Yeah. And then we'll have oh we'll have a special episode where it's like dedicated to like programming and then like learning concepts. We can like, do we that. Can do Merkle trees. But we need to make this entertaining yeah. for those listening, because right now if I was listening, I would have turned the shit off like five minutes ago on accident. <laughs> I would have just turned the radio on out of okay. spite. So why is mining okay. necessary? Let's answer this question. Why is mining necessary? It's a good question. Why not add transactions directly to the blockchain? Here's the answer. Because mining allows the entire Bitcoin network to agree on which transactions get archived. And this is how you prevent fraud in a digital currency. This is the consensus. Mining c- creates consistency. I think I'm g- saying that right. 
I'm pretty sure Corey would go, but (laughs) I'm pretty sure mining creates this consensus. So go on. When you make a Bitcoin transaction, nodes on the network do not hear about it instantly. Instead, transactions travel across the Bitcoin network by being passed from one node to the next, right? So it's actually possible to make another transaction using those same Bitcoins and insert that transaction into the network too. Uh, you could buy a beer with some Bitcoins and then quickly attempt to buy a slice of pizza with the same Bitcoins. In other words, you could do some good old fraud, right? And mining yep. prevents beer this and fraud, pizza. right? So, yet yeah, even though you you know you've 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 made the pizza transaction after the beer transaction, mm-hmm. due to the way transactions travel across the Bitcoin network, the network would be in a disagreement about whether you should get the beer. Or the pizza. What if you had two identical debit cards? What do you mean? It would pull from the same checking account. No, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen. <laughs> yeah. This is this is probably why banks exist. This is why I'm I'm answering my own question before I even ask it. But like you have to deactivate okay. a card before they send you a new one, right? What um, if you had two okay. Of the same card, like same card, same numbers activated at the same yeah. time. I guess you okay. can't have that because they won't allow that. You have to have unique numbers. So, never mind. Okay. Never mind. I'm done, with that. I'm done with that stupid. Did you ass see the? Uh, did you pot. see the Robin Hood exploit? No, no, no. What's that? The Robin Hood exploit was a way to have infinite leverage. So you have people who had Robin Hood gold and paid $2,000 and then um, through uh, through contract magic contracts magic they were able to leverage you know 30x 40x you, you could you could theoretically leverage infinite and so people with $2,000 invested had like millions of dollars worth of stocks Oh, I saw that article today. It was like the Robin Hood. If somebody took two thousand dollars and made millions, right, or something like that. Yeah, you could do it up until like earlier this evening. You oh could, wow! You could leverage it infinitely. Mm. Yeah, there were a bunch of tutorials on how to do it multiple different ways, but they just um, they patched Shut it, it down. But yeah, it's pretty Damn. funny. So, how does the network decide which tractions go with the beer or the pizza? How does the network stop this fraud? Mining. If a node on the network completes the challenge, then it's the, then it's the transaction in their memory pool that gets added to the blockchain. So, one, first one to solve the transactions gets in the memory pool. Two, the pizza transaction is added to the blockchain. Three, the pizza block is shared. Four, nodes accept the pizza block and let you let go of beer transactions from the memory pool right so this is the thing that i'm still fuzzy on if somebody does it at the same exact time but i guess they physically can't right you can but it doesn't matter how does it not matter because only one will be selected oh that's right it's that bitcoin and only yeah okay only one yeah. will be selected with the same Bitcoin. Got it. Uh, 
It seems like a little unorthodox way to select transactions, I know, but this is the solution the Bitcoin network uses to reach a consensus when dealing with conflicting information. Here's another. On the plus side, it only takes about 10 minutes for each new block of transactions to be added to the blockchain. So you only need to wait 10 minutes for confirmation that Bitcoins have arrived at a new address and haven't been sent to an alternative address. So mining is how we find consensus. I think I'm right on it saying that. I'm going to keep, I'm going to triple double down on that. Triple double down. That's triple, 6x. Double, triple, double that, down. That's a 6x down. Yeah. It's a triple double. 6x leverage. 6x down. Another benefit of mining. If you want to try and control the blocks, i.e. transactions that get added to the blockchain, you have to complete compete to solve block puzzles with every other mining node on the Bitcoin network. In other words, you need to have a computer with enough processing power that is able to outwork the combined processing power of every other Bitcoin miner, which is entirely possible. You just need to spend a few billion on hardware and you're good to go. All of this figure increases with every new miner who joins the network. Boom. How do I start mining? Fancy a crack at that 25 Bitcoin reward, eh? To start mining, you flick a switch in the Bitcoin client. Oh, Boom. okay, never mind. Jesse, sometimes you're right. you make Bro, me feel... right. Okay. No, but, but you know what? I'm right. You know why? We're both right. We're both technically right. You know okay. why? Why? Because there is specific software that uses all the shitcoin algorithms, right? <laughs> and those are the miners that people with GPU farms run. They don't yes. just run the Bitcoin client. That's very true. They run they run smart clients that select which algorithms to run based on which shitcoin is the highest price. And then they swap to those algorithms, convert it to Bitcoin, and then hop off those algorithms when that shitcoin yeah. tanks in price. I tried to do that, man. We mined hardcore for like six to eight months. It was cra- it was crazy cool, man. I felt like a virtual prospector, man. Um, oh, I thought you were a virtual prostitute. <laughs> oh, not yet. Let's see. <laughs> Dude, I saw... Never mind. We're not going to go down that path. Yes, we are. So there's toys <laughs> that exist for two human beings to have a long-distance relationship. Listen to this. Oh my god, I know what you're going to say. You saw the toys? You saw that article? It was a Vice article. Anyways. I, I don't know what you're about to say, but I know what you're about to say. Alright, so... Without on, knowing the Vice article. On the on the woman's end, she's got her toy uh-huh. that like yep. vibrates and moves around depending upon uh-huh. what you're doing with your toy on your end. So you uh-huh. can have long-distance... Smang sessions without like having to physically be in each other's presence. It's like haptic. Yeah, haptic responses. Phone yeah. sex. Yeah, it's intense. It's intense. But anyways, That's I don't know how we got on that path. Maybe because it's flick a switch. But uh, flick a switch. If you're running the Bitcoin QT client, you can go into the command and you uh, can turn on mining. It's really that easy. It's crazy. It says, uh, this is the command. So, 
go to help debug window console and enter this command set generate true this is the command to turn mining on your client will now generate blocks of transactions from the transactions in your memory pool and start hashing them you will know it's working because your processor will start whizzing as it hashes away at the blocks it generates to try and get a result that works. It probably won't solve a block. In parentheses, it would be a miracle, but it's fun to give it a shot. To turn mining off, set generate false. Yeah. So I think your you odds go. of playing the lottery, your your odds of winning the lottery are phenomenally easier than mining a block with like a like yeah, your I'm laptop just mine CPU. Blocks. Huh? I'm gonna try and mine a block. I'm gonna try and mine a block. <laughs> your grandkids, 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 grandkids might get that block. You never know. I could be lucky. I'm feeling this is even cheaper than playing the lottery, right? Yeah, but you're I'm only gonna, gonna win twelve and a half like... Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> What if there's a blackout, D, and everybody loses power except for me? Guess what? I'm about to get that block. No, you're not, because the difficulty would still be I might not even get that block. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. (laughs) Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Um, God damn it. There's no luck in Bitcoin. And we read this. Look out of here. That luck. I I think we should pause right here. It's been a lengthy show. Yeah. We've gone through a lot. Let's review exactly what we've gone over. We said what the Bitcoin network is, what a node on the network is, what a node must do. The difference between a node and a miner, why mining is important. It provides us with this consensus, this consensus that a transaction can go into that block. Right. Why is mining important? Also, it stops fraud. It stops me from buying. Yep. Pizza and Bitcoin with the same exact Bitcoin. Oh, sorry, pizza and uh, beer with the same exact Bitcoin. So we're learning a lot here. It's good to go back to the beginning. It is good. So, so on the next episode of What the Header, we're going to go into what's it say? Scroll to the bottom. So we are going into. We've already done block blockchain. That was the next section, and then the next section after that was blocks. So we're in the next section after those two sections, which is, wait, actually, we might be in blocks. Yeah, we're in blocks. Yeah, let's, yeah we're in blocks. All right. Figuring out what's going on in a block, right? Yeah. Uh, difficulty. That's going to be fun to talk about because it's basically just an algorithm that defines yeah. who wins Bitcoin or not. So, yep. dude, let's check that address and see how much Bitcoin's gone to it. That's it? (laughs) 0.0407? 0.0407. Damn. Calculator, come up. Is it like a... Uh, It's like like 9 bucks. No, it's like 36 bucks. 370. Huh? 370. 370 bucks? I missed zero. Yep. All this hard work for 370 bucks... Man, this man is a saint. See, does he have any Twitter followers? Wow, he doesn't even have a lot of Twitter followers. Dude, no one knows who this guy is. I've been trying to put him on for years. Crazy. Greg Walker's legit, man. 
Greg Walker is a legit human being. Uh, tweet at Greg Walker at Inertia I N three R S H A. Um, he's a great. He's he's moved on to the Lightning Network now, so he's trying to explain the Lightning Network to people. Great, great um, educator, and builds these great graphics to help you kind of visualize what's going on in Bitcoin. Um, yeah. So thanks for listening to oh there's a block explorer he built a block explorer into the website that is dope uh anyways um what was i saying thank you for listening to an episode of what the header thank you for joining jesse and i on our curious adventures um uh, please listen to the other shows on the bitcoin podcast network there's of course hashing it out hashing it out panels which is a subgroup of the hashing it out brand i guess you could call it um then we have the bitcoin podcast of course dose of ether and uh yeah that's about it um follow us on twitter at the btc podcast um follow us i don't know do the things like this is on twitch i think so like follow us on twitch on uh, the Mexican Filipino, <laughs> <laughs> is it still the Mexican Filipino? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, so Jesse is a Mexican Filipino. In case you guys were wondering, that's how we get away with that. Um, so we get away. <laughs> uh, that's about it, guys. Uh, if you see us on YouTube, subscribe there too. Do all the things. We try to do all the things. Um, play the outro.